Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Chapter 4. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Pray with me this morning. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it is living and active. And God, we know that just proclaiming and reading your word, there is power in it to change and transform. And so, God, I ask that I would get out of the way of what you are doing and what you are speaking to us this morning, that this would not be about me, um, that I would not draw attention to myself, but that, God, you would ultimately be glorified through this and that you would ultimately speak uh, through me and that you would delight to show your strength through the weaknesses of men. And so may this all be about you this morning. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you like to use your iPhone or tablet, we are a iPhone and tablet-friendly church. No one will judge you, so you can get those out as well. Um, but yes, turn to Ephesians 4. Um, now, we're going to be flipping around and looking at a lot of verses throughout the scripture. I think it'll be most helpful for you if you just stay anchored in Ephesians 4, and I'll read you the other passages. Don't try to keep up with me flipping and finding all the scriptures I'm going to use. Kind of stay there in Ephesians 4. 
Um, but it, it, isn't it just good to, again, once again, be all gathered here this morning? Um, we are looking forward to September when we will be doing this on a weekly basis where we will all be gathered together starting in September. But until that time, we will cherish these once-a-month gatherings that we have uh, to all come together and to lay the foundation for this new church, this new work that God is doing here. And what we've been doing through these summer services, this is part two of really a three-part series where we are laying out to you the mission and vision we believe God's laid on our heart for this local church. And that is that we exist to behold, to build, and to bless. So let me explain. First and foremost, we primarily exist to behold God. And that's what we preached on last gathering, to behold a holy, holy, holy God from Isaiah 6. And to behold God means to worship him, to gaze at him, to exalt him, to put him front and center and to delight in who he is. And at the very core of that is that he is a holy God. We are to behold this holy God. And then today we are talking about building up the body of Christ. And next month we'll talk about how we exist then to also bless the city. But there is a particular order that we are going through these things because uh, there is a, a, a healthy way to talk about behold, build, and bless because if we get these out of order and if we get our emphasis on the wrong thing, we start to lose our identity as a true and healthy biblical church. So if we started with bless the city and that's what we primarily emphasized and, and put all of our, our attention on, we could easily turn into another non-for-profit or community service organization, but we would cease to be a true and healthy biblical church. Or we could start on emphasizing a building up the body of Christ, right? We could just talk about that, start with that, emphasize that, but then what could happen is we could turn into just another Bible club or prayer group or a Bible study, and we would cease to become a true and healthy biblical church. But no, we must start always, first and foremost, primarily with beholding God and knowing that our identity is first and foremost as worshipers of God and that as we behold him, he will transform us and that is ultimately what will empower us to build up the body of Christ and that is ultimately what will overflow then onto our city and community and culture and allow us to be a blessing to the city. So if you were not here last month, that's fine, but I would encourage you to go and listen to the sermon on the website, not because the sermon in and of itself was all that great, but I think it will help you hear what you're going to hear this morning in a more proper context, because this is really part two. We are picking up where we left off last month. And so as you are hearing this, I also want you to do something else for me this morning. I want you to be prayerfully receiving this this morning, okay? Now, most of the times that I will preach to you and proclaim God's word to you, I do want you to always be like prayerfully receiving it, but especially this morning, because as we are looking at the scripture and as I am talking through what it looks like to be a healthy church, I want us to be begging and pleading with God that he would do that here that this would be a healthy church, that he would be cultivating these things here in this church. So as we are going through this, be praying, be ready to, in the quietness of your heart, be praying and begging that God would do those things here, that he would work those things here. 
So we are talking about how we exist to build up the body of Christ. Now, even that statement probably needs a little explaining, okay? Because it could be misunderstood that I'm talking about some great work that we're about to do or or some, you know, great things that we can take credit for because we are building up the body of Christ. But no, let me remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 16 when he was speaking to Peter. He says, He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So ultimately, it is Jesus building his church, okay? But many times, it is the will of God to work through the people of God to accomplish the purposes of God for the glory of God and the good of his people. Did you guys follow, okay? Many times it is the will of God to work through the people of God to accomplish the purposes of God for the glory of God and the good of his people. You see, God does not need us to build his church, but he is like a loving father who loves for his children to take part in the work that he's doing. Let me share an example. So the, earlier this summer, we bought a, a playset for our, our boys, okay? I have three little boys. We bought a playset to put together in the backyard. Now, when we were purchasing this playset, there was an option that for a few hundred dollars more, we could pay to have someone else come and install and set it up for us, okay? which sounds like it probably would have been a good idea, but for whatever reason, I don't know if my testosterone levels were at an all-time high or if that was like the extra helping of bacon I had had that morning, but when Brittany gave me that option, I said, I don't need another man coming to my house to put together a playset for my boys. I will put together the playset for my boys, okay? And then as the truckloads and the boxes and all the baggies and the, the bolts and the screws arrived, and then the instruction manual uh, arrived and literally looked longer than the systematic theology I had, and I was like, I have made a huge mistake. I have made a huge mistake. But anyway, so, The hours and the days and the weeks that I spent putting together this playset, my oldest two boys, Jackson and Jamin, they wanted to be a part. They wanted to help. So a lot of times, man, they were right out there with me side by side, handed me the pieces that I needed, handed me the the bolts and the screws and, and opening up the instruction manual and holding it so the wind wouldn't blow the pages, right? So they were right by me, side by side, helping me build this playset. So really, Jackson and Jamin could say that they built the playset. That they at least, at the very least, helped build the playset. Now listen, Jax is four, Jamin is three, and if we could be honest, I could have gotten it done a lot quicker without their help, right? If they just would have stayed back and just watched, I could have gotten through it a lot faster because the whole time I'm trying to make sure that they aren't gonna get injured, right? That nothing's gonna fall on them, that they aren't losing pieces in the grass, that they aren't you know, misplacing things. And so ultimately, I could have done it probably more efficiently and faster without them, but no, Most of the time, it was such a joy to me to have them working alongside me in what I was doing. But listen, I I was going to make sure the playset got done, or I was at least going to hire someone else to do it, right? It was not dependent on Jax and Jamin to get that playset done, okay? So in the same way that Jax and Jamin could say they built the place that, that is the same way that we are saying that we are building up the body of Christ. Ultimately, Jesus is building the body of Christ. Jesus is building his church, and he's going to make sure that the job gets done. But 
ultimately God is like a loving father who loves for his children to take part in his work and to accomplish his purposes through us. So turn with me now and let's look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, now we got to stop there. Now, I promise we're not going to stop after every two words through the passage. You guys are already looking nervous as to how long this sermon's going to be, okay? We're not going to stop after every two words, but we have to stop here because you've probably heard that anytime you're reading your Bible, when you come across the word therefore, you need to stop and ask, what is the word therefore, therefore, right? You've heard this before, okay? So we have to stop here. Now, this is the trouble with preaching topically and why in general we will just preach straight through books of the Bible. It's because we are now jumping into the middle of a letter that was meant to be read as one, and so we are catching Paul mid-thought here in Ephesians chapter 4. So let me just quickly try to summarize to you the first three chapters of Ephesians. Essentially, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what God has done. He has chosen, he has adopted, he has redeemed, he has forgiven, he is uniting all things, he is seated on his throne. And if you remember back to last sermon, we know that he is on a throne and he is holy, holy, holy. And what his holiness has required, his grace has provided to us. He has atoned for our sins, he has taken our guilt away, and now we are being joined together as one, growing into this new holy temple of the Lord. Lord, we are being built up together as a dwelling place of God. So the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about this doctrinal truth, what God has done and accomplished for us. Now Paul is saying, in light of these truths, therefore, now Paul is going to give us some exhortation or some strong encouragement about what we are to do. But truth and proclamation, what God has done, has to come first, and then exhortation and application, okay? Because if we do not understand the context of Ephesians 4, and if we don't start with gospel doctrine first, then Ephesians 4 could be preached and understood as just some behavioral modification. Hey, just walk better, just be better, right? Just some empty moralism, but no. What Ephesians is telling us and what I'm trying to say today is that we must first behold, embrace, and enjoy gospel doctrine and then watch what gospel community develops and produces. So behold, embrace, and enjoy gospel doctrine and then watch the gospel community that it will produce. So that is what we are going to be watching here, what this gospel doctrine is producing in this new community here in Ephesians 4. So let's go back to Ephesians 4. We'll get through a few more words here. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Let me draw your attention to verse three. Eager to maintain the unity. This is not saying eager to create unity, 
Okay? No, he's saying maintain unity. The unity has already been created and established by the work of Christ on the cross. Because let me remind you what Paul said earlier in this letter in Ephesians in chapter 1. He said that there was this great God-ordained plan set forth in Christ to unite all things in him. So Paul's not telling us to create unity or to set it into motion or to somehow develop unity. No, he's saying maintain unity. And this word maintain means to preserve, to attend to carefully, to take care of, or to guard. Guard unity. We are to guard unity. So if unity is something that was created by God, if unity is something that was accomplished by Christ, and if unity is something that we are supposed to guard, this should at the very least get our attention that this is important. Because think about the things that we guard. We, we, we guard the most important things to us, right? Or, or think about two nations that are at war with one another. They spend a lot of time guarding what's important to their nation, right? So they guard their leaders, whether it be their, their kings or presidents or generals. Like, they have secret service. They strategize. How are we going to guard this? They think about then their military bases and fortresses. Hey, what strategy are we going to put into place to make sure this is guarded? Why do they put all this energy and effort into guarding? these important things because they know they have an enemy and they know what their enemy is coming after. Now, church, I don't mean to alarm any of you this morning, but let me remind you that we have an enemy. Now, he's a defeated enemy. Don't get me wrong. We don't need to give him too much credit this morning, but we do have an enemy and we know what he's coming after. He loves to attack unity. He loves to cause division. And he especially loves to attack the unity that is supposed to exist in marriage. And he especially loves to attack unity that is supposed to exist in the church. Now, why, why does he like to attack unity so much? Because, you see, human beings are image bearers of God which means we were created to reflect the image of God to the world. And we were created to reflect the image of a triune God, a God who has perfectly and eternally dwelt in unity. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are three distinct persons, equal in glory and power, but they are so perfectly unified that they are one. We know there is one God. So if you want to know the perfect example of unity, look no further than our triune God. Now, if you have trouble comprehending the Trinity, three persons and or three distinct persons in one God, join the club. It's one of those things that it is hard to get our minds around. And, and if you have more questions and things you want to talk to, Pastor Gary would love to meet with you and talk through the Trinity. Get that all figured out. Okay. So our enemy loves to distort any picture or glimpse of God that the world might see reflected from us, okay? So where unity exists, our enemy will try to create division. He'll do it in marriage. That union that God created in marriage was to reflect the unity and the oneness of Christ and his church, 
And the unity then that is supposed to exist in the church, the oneness, is meant to reflect the image of God to the world. And our enemy hates that. And so he will create division. This is what Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 21. He said, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe. He's praying that we may all be one so that the world would believe. This new community is supposed to dwell as one in order to reflect the image of God to the world so that the world would trust Jesus and believe Jesus and our enemy hates it and so he is coming after our unity. I think most of you, if you've been in church longer than a week, have seen the enemy try to create division in the church. Well, how do we maintain unity? Paul gives us instruction in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So one way we guard unity is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which means to conduct your life in a certain way. Conduct your life in a manner that is worthy of this holy, holy, holy God who has adopted us and united us with himself through Christ. So we walk in humility, we walk in gentleness, we walk in patience, and we bear with one another in love. Now, humility is not a popular characteristic or attribute to have in our society, and it wasn't back when Paul wrote this in the city of Ephesus either. But we do know that God says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I'm not very smart, but I know enough to know I don't want to be on the team that God is opposing. I want to be on the team that God is giving grace to, and I don't want anyone in this church being on the team that God is opposing. We want to be a church on the team that God's giving grace to. So we want to pursue humility. We should have a desire to be a humble people and to have humble leadership. So what is humility? Well, C.J. Mahaney in his book, Humility, says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. If we are beholding a tr the one and true living, holy, holy, holy God, pride cannot stand in the presence of a holy, holy God, excuse me. Pride cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. So grow in your awareness of God's holiness and grow in awareness of your own sinfulness and watch humility just start to be cultivated in your heart. But now, some people think humility is just having a really low view of yourself. I've, I've sometimes had these seasons where I want to pursue humility, so I just really just think really lowly of myself. Man, I'm awful. I can't do anything right. I just kind of beat myself up. And, and I think Tim Keller has helped me have a healthier understanding of humility when he says this. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Pride is full of self. Humble people are full of God.
okay? Pride is full of yourself. Humble people are full of God. So stop beholding yourself and start beholding God and humility will grow and we just might have a chance to maintain unity here in this church. Or think of it this way, humility is like the oxygen that unity needs to survive, okay? Humility is like the oxygen that unity needs to survive. If humility is not permeating the atmosphere and environment, whether it be in a home or in a church or in a business, unity can't survive there. It can't live there. Go into a home and observe a family. If there is division or disunity or dysfunction, I would ask, where is the humble leadership? Where is the humility? Where is the selfless living in this home? Or go into a church, and where there is not humble leaders, and where there is not humble members, there will be division, strife, contention, and there will be no unity in that church. But my prayer for this local church, and what I want you guys to even be praying right now in the quietness of your heart, is to beg and plead with God that this would be an environment and an atmosphere that would just be full of the spirit of humility that unity would flourish. Guard unity by walking in humility. Guard unity by walking in humility. Well, how else are we to walk? We are to walk in humility. We are to walk in gentleness. Now, gentleness is not weakness and it is not timidness, okay? But it actually implies more of a self-controlled strength, okay? So men, it is manly to be gentle. It is manly to have strength as well as the ability to be able to control it and to be gentle with people. So we are to be gentle. We are to walk in humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Or we might say sometimes patiently putting up with one another in love, right? Now, I know on our more sanctified days, we bear with one another in love. But if we could be honest, many days we put up with one another in love, right? I mean, be real for a moment. We can sit here and talk about all these idealistic grand views of this perfect unified church, but when real life happens and that person annoys you or that person offends you or this person sort of smells a little weird, right, or your kids just go crazy when they're around other kids at church, right? I mean, I don't know, I don't know about your guys' kids, but when my kids come here and they're around some of you, the energy level goes from like 10 miles per hour to 100 miles per hour in a second. I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if there's someone secretly like handing them bags of sugar when they get in the door. If you are doing that, you need to come forward and confess and we will forgive you. Uh, but right, I mean, sometimes doesn't it just feel easier to say, you know what, I'm not gonna mess with all the messiness of church life, all the people that rub me the wrong way, all the people that have hurt me. I'm not going to mess with trying to get my kids to behave and be all here. Like, wouldn't it just be easier to stay home? Wouldn't it just be easier, just me and my Bible and a cup of coffee in a quiet room with Jesus? Like, wouldn't that just be better for me? And the scary thing that has now happened in our society is that when people are not willing to bear with one another in love, and when they have a wrong view of what the church is, they turn into what I would call podcast Christians, podcast Christians. Let me explain a little bit. 
And I wanna speak lovingly and gently to podcast Christians because I think we have all at some point in our life been there where we've just thought, man, what's the point? It's too hard to, to, to go to church, okay? So let me explain what, what I'm meaning by podcast Christians. If you think that church is just five songs in a sermon, you might be a podcast Christian, okay? You might be. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying you might be, okay? If you don't see the need to be part of a local church and be around other believers, you might be a podcast Christian, okay? You might be a podcast Christian. Because these are people who say, why go through the hassle of doing life with others and the messiness and the hurt that it can cause when I can stay at home and listen to better preaching on the internet and I can listen to studio produced music on the internet on my phone, right? And listen, we've all been there. I mean, it's sometimes in my household, we're, we're there every Sunday morning, if I could just be honest, right? Like, what's, you know, this is hard, Right? But listen, church is not a service. We're not, we're not planting a service. There, there are plenty of other places that do a better service than this. They have better resources, better skills. There are better services to go to. We are not planting a service. But the church is something so much more beautiful and rich than just a Sunday morning service. The church is the people of God. It is the body of Christ. The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ, as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood, as the salt of the earth, as the temple of God. So if you think that church is just a sermon in five songs, and if you are tired of putting up with other people in love, I fear that you will miss out on the union and communion with Christ because you are missing the union and communion with his people, the body, the church. And I want that for all of you. I want you to experience the union and communion with Christ. But in order to fully experience the depth and the riches of that, you must also be in union and communion with his body, the church. So we are encouraged to patiently put up with one another, to patiently bear with one another in love because the reward of that is something far more beautiful than we could have ever even imagined. So you might be saying, okay, so maintain unity. I need to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, it all sounds good, but I will fail at those in like five minutes of this service being over. Some of you might already be failing at being patient with me because the sermon is dragging, okay? And so I, I hear you. I'm going to fail at these and, you know, I mean, just chill on the sermon. It hasn't been that long yet, okay? So be patient with me, all right? But I'm with you. I'm going to step out of here and I'm pride's going to rise up. I'm going to step out of here and I'm not going to be patient with my kids. I'm going to step out of here and I'm going to have trouble bearing with one another in love. So you're hearing all these things. Okay, we're supposed to do this, 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 and this, but I'm going to fail in five minutes. What do we do with this now? And this is why we must stay focused on the gospel. This is why we are saying we want to be a people with gospel focus. Let me try to explain and be real practical what that means. What it means is keeping our eyes on Christ. And what it means is remembering what Paul says in this passage when he says, 
we have been called. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This isn't something that we all just decided to do one day. This is something that we have been called to. Our salvation was initiated and accomplished by God. And if I know anything about God, what he starts, he finishes, okay? This is not something we all decided to do. This is something we've been called to. Rest in that. You've been called to this. So this is what it looks like then to stay focused on the gospel. It ultimately means to be keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because you see, I think we often hear that Jesus died the death we deserved, right? Which that's a beautiful truth. We always need to be hearing that. He died in our place on the cross that we deserved. He took the punishment we deserved. He satisfied the wrath of God. He atoned for our sins. He's taken our guilt away. And so, yes, he has died in our place. What a beautiful truth that is. But listen, don't forget this part of it also. He also lived the perfect life of obedience in our place. He lived the perfect life of obedience in our place. And so when we put our trust in Christ, his righteousness, his good works are credited to us. So when we stand before God, we are clothed in the good works of Christ. Because listen, we will fail to be perfectly humble. But I know Jesus was perfectly humble in my place. I know that he emptied himself in the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. And I know we will fail to be perfectly gentle, but I know that Jesus was perfectly gentle in my place. And he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And we will fail at being perfectly patient, but I know Jesus was perfectly patient in my place, and he displays his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe. And we will fail at perfectly showing love to one another, but Jesus perfectly showed his love for us in our place that while we were sinners, he died for us. So by the grace of God, we walk worthy knowing that Christ's perfect righteousness has been credited to us and now he has given us his spirit to live inside of us to empower us to obey. So when we stumble and fall, we repent, we confess, and we quickly turn and trust in Jesus that our righteousness is ultimately safe in heaven and that his spirit will empower us to continue on following him. So may God empower us to be a humble people, to be a gentle people, to be a patient people, to be a loving people who are eager to maintain and guard the unity that we have. Because look now at all that we have in common in verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. I mean, here we just, we see the beauty of even the Trinity, right? Throughout this passage, one spirit, one Lord, one Father. Not only did God create unity for us to experience with him, not only did he create unity for us to experience with one another, he is also the perfect picture of it. Father, Son, Spirit dwelling as one God. Now listen, he doesn't just create unity for us and then say, hey, good luck. 
I'll see you in heaven, right? No, verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Jesus didn't die on the cross, raised from the dead, and then just peace out on us, right? No, this passage is describing him like a warrior king returning from war with all the spoils of war, and he is in on his victory march handing out gifts and blessings to his people. That is the picture that this, this passage is trying to paint for you. Victorious King Jesus coming back from victory, handing out the spoils of war, all the good gifts to his people. Now, we won't look into detail about all the gifts that, that Jesus gives, and our passage here does list a few. It lists apostles, prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and then the New Testament goes on to list other gifts as well that were distributed to God's people. Gifts like the gift of helps, administration, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, discernment, tongues, serving, encouraging, leadership, mercy, and there's even more that the Bible doesn't even list. Okay, Wayne, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says this about spiritual gifts. He says, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and is used in ministry in the church. So it is not just limited to that, 15, that, that list of 15 gifts that you took in Sunday school on your assessment, spiritual gift assessment, right? It's not just limited to those. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and is used in the ministry of the church. And I love looking at and thinking about all the different gifts that God has given his people. He is a generous God. He gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. Unlike some of you, he doesn't give Chia Pets for Christmas, right? He gives good gifts. Like what is wrong with our society that these are still being sold and given out as gifts, right? I'm still seeing commercials at Christmas time, all right? No, God gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. And it's important to know that he doesn't just give the same gifts to everyone though, right? I mean, we've been talking about unity and all the things that we have in common, but the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. And we are to celebrate the diversity in the body of Christ. Now, diversity is a, is a popular word, right? And contrary to what Will Ferrell might say, diversity is actually not an old wooden ship, okay? Some of you will get that reference. Maybe others won't. That's okay. But diversity means a variety. It is a variety. The people of God are to be a variety of people. We are to be a diverse people, now, certainly my prayer is that this church will be more racially and socioeconomically diverse as we grow, because we know that God is calling and saving people from every tribe, tongue, and language, and from every skin color, and from every tax bracket. So we are praying for diversity in that way as this church grows, but the diversity we are talking about this morning is the diversity of the gifts given to his people. The diversity of the gifts given to his people. There is a variety of gifts given. And listen, therefore, there is a variety of responsibilities given to his people as well. 
You have gifts that I don't have. I have gifts that you don't have. We need one another if we are to grow up as a healthy body. This interdependence of diversity actually creates, it actually maintains and promotes unity because we are dependent upon one another. There are things that I cannot do that you all can do really well. There are things that you can't do that maybe I can do. And so this dependence upon one another, although diversity might seem like it would separate us, it actually unifies us. But unfortunately, because of indwelling sin, diversity often divides us. Now, you see this in all categories and spheres in life. You see diversity to kind of divide us, whether it be with race or with politics and, and whether it be, uh, uh, you know, your tax bracket and anything like that. It divides us. And sadly, we even see this division in the church amongst the gifts. You see, people with the gift of serving all segregate themselves to this one church that has great community service and outreach, right? And then we see people with the gift of knowledge all segregate themselves to the church that teaches really deep truths and theology. And then we see the people with the gift of tongues all segregate themselves over here to another church. And then we see the people with the gift of administration all segregate themselves to the church that's really well run and man managed. And then we see people with the gift of leadership all segregate themselves to the church that has good leadership, coaching, and classes. And we see people with the gift of faith all segregate themselves to the church that has a lot of prayer nights and things like that. But church, listen, sin is what segregates the gospel congregation. Us. The good news of the gospel is that, yes, we have been reconciled to God, but we have also been reconciled to one another, and we have been gifted in different ways so that in our diversity, we would have unity. And I was trying to think of an illustration to really drive home this point, and God reminded me that he had a great one in his word that I could never outdo. So I'm just going to read this illustration for you from 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Listen to this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts in one body. Sin segregates, the gospel congregates. Many members, one body, so guard unity and celebrate diversity. Now, Britt, if you've got kids in the preschool class, she was up later than I was preparing a, a lesson on the body of Christ, and she had, though, a Mr. Potato Head with her, so that it looked like they were going to be having a little bit more fun than we are, all right? But if you have kids in the preschool class, they are learning the same thing about the body of Christ, so talk about this with them after the service. But why have the gifts been given? We'll look back to our passage in Ephesians 4. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The gifts were given to equip the saints for ministry and to build up the body of Christ. He gave the gifts of pastors and teachers to equip the saints. Now, that's all of you. If you have trusted Christ, if you are following Christ, you are a saint, and we are to equip you for the work of the ministry. The pastors should not be the only ones doing ministry. You are all ministers of the gospel. We don't have, the pastors don't have all the gifts. We can't do all the ministry. We need everyone using their gift for the ministry of the gospel. So in our church government and leadership structure, we are trying to be just as biblically faithful as we can. And so the way we have set things up, we have said that we are a Jesus-ruled church, okay? Jesus is at the top. He is the chief shepherd. He is the senior pastor. He is the head. He is, he is ruling his church. And then the Bible speaks of the office of elder and overseer. These are to be people that are pastoral as well. So we see elders, overseers, and pastors being in this one office who are to be under shepherds and are to tend to and take care of the flock and to our minister to the word and are to equip you for ministry. So we are Jesus ruled, we are elder led, and then we are congregationally responsible. We are congregationally responsible. What does it mean to be congregationally responsible? In summary, it means that you are ministers of the gospel. It means that you have been given gifts and that you are responsible to use those gifts to the glory of God and the good of his people. You are responsible for your leaders and your leaders are responsible for you. That's how this is supposed to work. So why do I say that you should all be doing ministry, that you are all ministers of the gospel? That seems kind of like a bold statement to say. Why would I say that? I say that because each and every one of you, if you have trusted in Christ as your savior, you have been given gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So first, each has received a gift, and it's a good gift, all right? I know some of you might think, I don't have good gifts to offer, I don't know. No, you do have good gifts to offer. Why do I say that? Because the giver of gifts, it gives good gifts, Right? He gives good gifts, so you have good gifts to offer. And 1 Corinthians 12 puts it this way, says, we were given the gifts of the Spirit for the common good. They weren't supposed to just stay with ourselves and just be used for our own benefit. They were given for the common good. Now, this completely obliterates many people's ideas about what church is and what a Christian or a follower of Christ is. Because remember back to the podcast, Christian, that, that mentality that we can all fall into that says, if church is a sermon and five songs, then I can just stay home and listen to a better sermon and listen to more produced music. But you see, the podcast Christian mentality, when we fall into it, we falsely believe that we are called to be a consumer instead of realizing that the call to be part of the body of Christ is a call to be a contributor. We are not called to be a consumer. We are called to be a contributor. 
And so in this passage, we have seen that as we are building up the body of Christ, we are to guard unity, to celebrate our diversity, not covet or want and desire other people's gifts, but to celebrate the diversity of gifts, and then we are to contribute to our maturity. Let's finish out this passage in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let's take a second and just get real practical and try to apply the difference between being a consumer and being a contributor. So we are starting city groups next month in August, okay? And city groups, I guess if you've been in, in church before, I guess if you want to sort of think of it as like our small group ministry, all right? But we don't want it to just be a small group ministry. We don't want it to just be a Bible study or club or discussion group. We want our city groups to really have a, a house church feel, right? We, we, we want them to have a closeness, a family, a house church mentality. And these are going to be smaller gatherings of believers in homes throughout the week and in the city and in the surrounding cities that will provide opportunities for people to contribute their gifts for the common good. You see, because even the size that we are right now, even though this is a small, even though we are a small church, there are still a lot of aspects of what a church should be that just can't all happen here on a Sunday morning. The life-on-life -life community that we are to have with one another, the oneness that we are to experience with one another, the family feel we're supposed to feel with one another, it just can't all happen here on a Sunday morning. So if we are going to show humility to one another, if we are going to show gentleness to one another, if we're going to be patient and bear with one another and love, many times that is going to have to happen and play out in our smaller gatherings throughout the week. So if you all come to Sunday morning services, you are always welcome to come, but you will be missing out on a big part of the church life. And, and here's the, big, there's, here's the big piece, and if you just come to Sunday morning, the church will be missing out on the contribution of your gifts. And this is something that we've been talking a lot about with, with Dad and with Kevin and, and talking about these city groups and even just other ministries that will start here at the church. A lot of times when, when churches promote ministries to you, they'll do it in a way um, like this. They'll say, you know, come to this. It will be a benefit to you, right? Like you'll make friends. You'll be encouraged. You'll get a free meal. You'll have a voice. People can pray for you. And, and all that is definitely true. And th there are going to be benefits to you in being a part of these groups, but, but even presenting it that way can sort of feed this inner selfishness that we all have, right? This inner, like, self-focused mentality that we can all be tempted to have. And listen, we need to be careful about this self-centered attitude and way of looking at things. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, there is such a thing as Christian selfishness. And of all the evil things in the world, it is the most unchristian. This should be getting your attention, okay? 
There is a thing as Christian selfishness, and of all the evil things in the world, it is the most unchristian. When the first and last concern of a man is his own salvation, his own comfort, his own advancement, his own edification, and nothing besides, he needs to be saved from such a selfish spirit. So this is why people with all the same giftings segregate themselves to their own separate churches because they are thinking in a selfish way. They are thinking in, how can this church benefit me, build me up, edify me, comfort me, take care of me? And we need to, as the people of God, repent of this selfish spirit and instead ask, no, how can the gifts that God has given me be used to contribute to the church? How can these be used for the common good? How can my giftings be used to building up the body? Because listen, don't kid yourself. If you love Jesus, then you will love his people and you will take care of his body. If you love Jesus, you will love his people and you will take care of his body. So listen, when we promote city groups, We mainly want you to be involved because we want you to have avenues to use your gifts for the common good. And so we want you to be equipped for ministry. We want you to have opportunities for ministries that you would be contributors to the ministry of the church. As we close, I want to remind us of the gospel. The gospel is the good news The good news that God saved sinners, that this salvation was accomplished through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus has defeated Satan's sin and death, and he is now ruling, reigning, restoring, and uniting all things to himself. Apart from Christ, we were stuck in our pride. We were full of ourselves, but the gospel frees us from that pride. It frees us from having to be full of ourselves, and now we can be full of God and a part of this new family, this new gospel community. So let me close with a quote from Paul Tripp, who puts it better than I could, just how beautiful it is to be part of this gospel community and family. He says, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness, and he wants you to be a part of it. He wants us to be a part of it. So would you join us? Would you be a part of it? And would you help us guard the unity Would you help us celebrate our diversity? And would you contribute to our maturity? And all the while, we will glory in and we will watch Jesus build his church.